0: and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Mr. Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you very much. That's excellent. How cute is my family? Just saying, (laughs) you're all thinking it. (laughs) Who would have thought that um, 13 years ago when Tegan and I were 18 and 19 and we tied the knot that we'd be standing in Noosa with three amazing children and all of you guys. It's absolutely fantastic. I want to take a minute this morning and just really honour my mum and dad who are here today, they are in the middle there. No, I've got I've got a lot to be grateful for and they're probably the start of it all. And um, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here today without everything that they've done for me and my brother and my sister and they modelled um you know, marriage amazingly and they modelled parenting amazingly and they modelled um, you know, the servant heart ridiculously. And um, you know, us three kids draw a lot from you, mum and dad, so Thank you for all that. And it's cool as you go along in life, and you get older, because obviously we go through our teens, and that's when we realise that we know everything. And um, towards the end of my teens, Teagan and I get married, and and that's when the the first light came on. And and I'm like, oh, wow, well, Mum and Dad did an amazing job with this. And then you go along through life, and you go through the ups and downs, and start having kids, and you add a career, and you you know the financial side of things with the mortgage and all that sort of stuff, and The more we went through life, the more I realized how amazing my mum and dad really were, so I just honor you today, that's cool. So um, we've been looking at worship, like Josh said, our series at the moment is on worship and a few times we've kind of taken a quick look in John 4 at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman and how he kind of leads her through this journey to this point where he says, you know, worship is spirit and in truth. And so I started to kind of flick through this story as I thought about today and and I found some really cool little nuggets which I want to share here you today as we might break it down. So if we look at the story, if I paraphrase it, basically we've got Jesus who's on his way kind of crossing through Samaria and he, he rocks up at the well at Sikar and he's hot and bothered and it's in the middle of the day and he sends the disciples off to go and get some food and um, do whatever that they do, take care of him. And this Samaritan woman is coming out and she's coming out in the middle of the day, she's hiding from her own people because she's ashamed of who she is and the life that she lives and So she's sneaking out in the middle of the day and she probably spots Jesus and she goes, oh, fire out, that looks like a Jewish guy over there. So I reckon she probably approached him pretty um, cautiously and, um, you know, sort of made a bit of eye contact. How's it going? (laughs) And Jesus says, give me a drink. And, of course, she's kind of taken back a little bit by this and she says, oh, well, who am I that you would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And um, so we watched his conversation as it goes back and forth and, and he um, he says, Well if you knew the gift of God you and who it is who speaks to you, you would have asked him for a drink. And he would have given you living water. And she goes, Oh, well who the heck are you? You know, are you greater than are you greater than Jacob who dug this well? You don't have a bucket, what are you gonna draw with it? you gonna climb down the well and just have a drink in the bottom of the well. If you've got a better idea. And um, so he starts to reveal who he is and who the Father is and the heart behind it. And, and he, you know, he, he starts to, um, you know, well, she starts to say, Well, how can I get this living water? I, you know, tell me more about it. How can I get it? And he says, Well, go and get your husband, come back, and we'll, we'll do the deal. We'll get you some of this living water. And she says, Well, I don't have a husband. And um, he says, Yeah, you answer right. You've, uh, you've actually had five, and the one you've got now isn't actually your husband. So she's taken back a little bit. He started to talk about things in her life that she hadn't revealed to him and didn't want to reveal to anyone. She's a little bit embarrassed, so she changes the subject. Oh, well, what about worship? How about the stock exchange at the moment? How about the price of fuel? And he was right on track. And so, again, he talks to her. She says, well, you know, we're worshiping over here at this mountain, you Jewish people over there in Jerusalem with the temple. What do you, you know, I perceive you're a prophet. What do you say about this whole worship thing? And he says, well, the time is coming and it now is that, you know, God is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about going over here or going over there. It's about what's on the inside. So I want to kind of break this story down a little bit and just pull out some nuggets that I think are really key because for me and my own personal work walk with worship, my perception of God was really important and my perception of who, how he saw me was equally important. And the two kind of grow hand in hand as we go through this journey and I think he he shows us that through this story really good. So the first thing that we get, number one, He's waiting for us and He's waiting with an invitation. Jesus is constantly calling out to us. Now we did the prophetic course a few weeks ago with the Baileys and one thing they kept hammering home is you know, God's always talking to us. The Holy Spirit's always talking to us. He's constantly trying to reveal... Um, truth and revelation to us you know she walks up to the well and he says give me a drink straight away he engages in her straight away he looks her in the eyes and says i'm here i want to be a part of your life let me in let me be involved i want to get amongst it so you know i'd say that she probably turned up she obviously acknowledged him in some way and uh, he just says look i'm here and i'm present the second thing is jesus wasn't hiding he made himself really clear so he's just sitting there waiting Um, She didn't have to go um, looking for him. He didn't make it difficult. You know, he wasn't kind of hiding down behind the well to surprise her or to make it a game or to make it difficult. And I find, you know, often we can arrive at a situation where we're madly looking for God in it. We're going, what are you saying, God? What are you doing here? And, And what do I do? And he's right there going, give me a drink. Let me in on this. Stop been so concerned with all these questions, and just wait a minute, and I'm right here, and I want to engage with you, and I want to be a part of it. So he's saying, yeah, I'm right here. Give me a drink. Let me into this moment. So the next thing she does, she questions him, and she says, how is it that you, a Jewish man, would offer me, a Samaritan woman, a drink? So the Samaritans at the time, and the Jewish people, had there was a real tension there. And so it was really uncommon that a Jewish Person would speak to a Samaritan person. In fact, they'd kind of veer around to avoid any contact. And um, so we can understand what must have been going through her mind at the time, because she obviously understood this. She would have been surprised. She probably took a second take. Uh, are you talking to me? Oh, there's someone standing behind me? You know, she would not have been expecting him to engage with her, not, not even the, little sp- the smallest bit. Who am I that you would have anything to do with me? That's what she's saying. Who am I? I had to sneak out here in the middle of the day when no one else would find me. My own people aren't even accepting of me. And you Jewish people, you, yeah. if my people aren't going to accept me, you're not going to accept me. So here's point number two. He's not concerned with culture. See, Jesus was well aware of the um, differences within the two groups of people at the time but he wasn't concerned with it. He wasn't concerned with social rights or wrong. It was highly, highly unacceptable for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. His rules of engagement are different to ours. He's not bothered by them, and he's certainly not bound by them. It does not matter who you think you are. It does not matter who anyone else says that you are. He's not concerned with that. Hey, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. It doesn't matter how many followers you've got on Instagram or Twitter. It doesn't matter how many people read your blog or don't read your blog. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what your reputation is. It doesn't matter what your track record is. He is there and he's saying, give me a drink. Jesus doesn't have an in and an out list. There aren't conditions on who he came for. The Bible is very clear and says he came for every one of us, for all of humanity. So this was kind of the start of my battle in my own personal worship journey. Because the more I became aware of God, like the Samaritan was very aware of this Jewish man, the more I became aware of his majesty and everything about him that makes him God, the more I became of the opposite things in my life. So the more I became aware of this massive gap between me and God, I was like, yes, God, you're amazing and you're awesome and you did this and you did that. And and it's just revealing to me how much lower I am than you. So there was this really awkward time for me. And it's not just sin that gets in the way. It could be our own self-worth. It could be believing a lie that someone maybe has told us, you're no good, you never achieved that. You're an embarrassment. But let me tell you this morning that that's all rubbish. Because the Word says that He created you and me in His image. The Word says that He has dreams and plans for you that you can't actually imagine. Isn't that true? The Word says that He plans to prosper you. The Word says that His love was so great for you and for me. That it was his good pleasure to send his son for us. To pay the price that he could seat us in heavenly places with him. It was his good pleasure. So I walked through this awkward stage in my worship journey. I'm trying to pursue a relationship with God and trying to get this worship thing going. But I was becoming more and more aware of of my lack and how I missed the mark. You know, I'd read the stories in the Old Testament where God had split the earth open and swallowed a tribe of people. I'd read... Stories of people dropping dead, and I'd read stories of people getting turned into pillars of salt. Now that's probably taking the whole salt of the earth thing a little bit too far. <laughs> if that's where it's going, I don't think I want to be part of that. <laughs> so I didn't want to face that God with subdued fear and trembling. I tried my best to serve Him and to worship Him carefully, constantly, with one eye open. I didn't want the the righteous slap. No salt needed here. So I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. The more I learned about the holiness and the awesomeness and the majesty of God and his power, the more I realized my own lack. This gap is getting bigger. Uh, I became more and more nervous and reluctant to become vulnerable with him, particularly in worship. So it became clear that my motivation was actually based on trying to stay on God's good side and avoid his wrath. So that's the place that I was coming to him in, just full of fear. But that's actually not how Jesus treats his Samaritan woman. So she's just asked him an identity question. She said, who am I that you would engage with me? Who am I that you would even notice me? Who, who am I? And it's interesting because he answers her with an identity question about himself. And he says, well, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is he says to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, so he wasn't concerned with her question. He went straight to himself. Now, I'm a gift person, right? Tegan's not a gift person, but I'm a gift person. So when I read this scripture, I think, well, you can tell a lot how someone sees you or perceives you or accepts you by a gift that they give you, right? So I wrote down some categories of gifts to give you a bit of an idea. We've got the uh, Can't Really Be Bothered gift. I'll just grab one of these funny things. It'll make them laugh. We've got the Last Minute gift. Oh, fired. I forgot about that. Just call in a servo on the way there. We've got the... uh, Well, if I don't get them something, they'll think that I don't care. Gift, so I better get them something. Then there's a good one. There's, well, I actually want to get them something that they want. You know, what's at the top of the list? What's something that they really value and something they're going to use and, you know, that they can really see that I care and I'm interested in what they're doing? Gift. That's a good one. Then we see how God does it. So here's a couple that I come up with. This is, there's the, uh, well, when they get it, it's going to blow their mind. Gift. They have no idea what's coming, gift. No idea. You couldn't even perceive it. You couldn't think of it. You couldn't dream of it. You couldn't desire it. It's way beyond. And the last one is, I want to make it ridiculously obvious how much I love you, gift. I want to blow your mind. I want you to crack the door open and there's your Ferrari or your Ducati or whatever you're into, gift. So he's trying to show us without a shadow of a doubt how... How high He sees us, how important He sees us, how valuable that we are to Him. And Jesus is trying to show this to the Samaritan woman. He barely even acknowledged a question or a concerns about her self-perception straight to God and Himself. So as long as we stay focused on how we see ourselves, as long as we stay focused on what the world says about us, we're going to miss the gift. If we stay in this position of fear because we're, I'm no good and God's awesome, so I'll just stand back. How's it going? No salt. Thank you. We're going to miss the gift. He wants to break that down. He completely wants to break it down. He's saying, I don't care about that stuff right now. I care about you first. Don't look down. Look up. Don't look at yourself. Look at me. When you start to be concerned with who you are or how people see you, look up and look at me. The key for all of us is this. It's not actually about me and it's not about you. It's about him. He's not waiting for us to approach the well so that he can tell us how far under his feet we are. He's not trying to remind us how far we've missed the mark. He's not telling us to back away because we're making him look bad. Stop breathing the same air as me. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The first thing he wants to do is to reveal more of who he is. He's not waiting for each Sunday morning uh, church service or midweek prayer meeting or even our own um, personal time our quiet time to remind us how great he is to bring us back down the sides there's no tall poppy syndrome here no po- tall poppy syndrome it's quite the opposite he wants to show us his love through his son jesus christ just like he was at the woman in the well see she thought she was coming to the well to get some water instead she was coming to meet the well of living water so she comes back with a question sir you have nothing to draw with the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And he drank from it himself. See, he was. the, the next key is to our natural mind and to our natural eye, it's not going to make sense. The it, it, scenario didn't make any sense to her. She's going, well, what? She's looking for the how and the who. She was concerned with the earthly perspective, saying, well, who are you and how are you going to do that? Where's your bucket? Are you greater than Jacob? She's comparing him to a normal earthly man. She's looking for earthly means. She had her faith and her hope and her trust on the things of earth. See, as long as we try only to see with our natural eyes to make sense of all this, to understand the gift, then we'll end up with confusion and doubt. See, she was confused. Probably thought he was a bit crazy or a bit mad. You crazy man? You going to climb down the well? How are you going to do that? Who do you think you are? Have you got a better way of doing this? See, we can be really quick to put limitations on him. She put limitations on him because she couldn't see with her mind or with her eyes in front of her. How can Jesus save me from that? Could he really actually save me from this? But the word says his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. She doubted his ability to do what he said and she questioned his authority. So we'll read on. Jesus answers and he says, Well, whoever drinks of this water is actually going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Here's number five. the Only, only God can satisfy us long term. Only living water can truly quench our thirst. See, whoever continues to get their needs met here will continue to have that need constantly. Whoever has a taste of the things for this world will never actually be satisfied. See if we continue, if I continued in my own journey to keep God at a safe distance with one eye open, checking for salt. <laughs> I was gonna miss the gift and I was never actually gonna be satisfied because I've got to get I've got to get close to him to be satisfied by him, don't I? I've got to engage in worship truly to be satisfied. So as long as I kept him at a gift, I was getting my satisfaction from earthly needs. So I was never actually getting those needs truly met. So the more intimately we pursue Him, the more areas of our life that we invite Him into and, and lay down and give Him, the more satisfied in life that we become. He puts everything into perspective for us. The Word says, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom, and He'll add all those to us. It's very clear. Seek first the kingdom. So the trick is to is to look out for the sneakiness of the enemy that keeps us questioning. He says, oh, but would Jesus really do that? I don't see a bucket. I don't know if he can do that. You remember how great Jacob was, and he had to use a bucket to get out of the well. I don't know if he can do that. He's busy anyway. He, well, he's not going to be bothered with what you're up to. So now she's starting to get a bit of an inkling about what's happening. and She says, Well, sir, give me this water that I, I may not thirst So the next thing he does is kind of interesting. He says, yeah, we'll go and get your husband. Come back and I'll sort out this ward for you. So we just see that in the next part that he just starts to reveal to her basically that he is full aware of the lifestyle that she's living. So earlier we saw that he wasn't concerned with her identity. He wasn't concerned with their ethnical differences or their cultural differences at the time. He didn't approach her like a Jewish man approaching a Samaritan woman. Right, that's pretty clear of the day. So now he's he wants to add he's showing her that he's not put off by her lifestyle. In fact he knows full well about her lifestyle and he's still very accepting of her. He's still saying, Give me a drink. He's still wanting to engage with her. Here's number six, don't want wait until you've got it all together before you pursue him at a deeper level. He's not waiting for you to get your life right. He's not waiting he wasn't waiting for me to get my life right. He wants us to come to him first and let him deal with the other stuff. Seek first the kingdom and then we'll work work that other stuff out later. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he didn't care about her lifestyle. It's not that that wasn't important. It was more the fact that he wasn't discouraged by it and he wasn't put off by it. He wasn't looking at that going, oh, you sort that out, then come and see me. Quite the opposite. His desire for us to know the truth is greater than that. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The goodness, the goodness, and then there's the repentance. It's not repent and sort that, and then I'll show you my goodness. It's like, let me show you my goodness. Let me reveal the gift of God to you, my goodness, and then we'll be led to repentance. And then we'll we'll sort all that other stuff out. So you've got to get it the right way around. He was simply loving her to the truth. See, I've had people say to me, oh, um, you know, when I get my life sorted, then I'll start coming to church. And uh, when I get this bad habit under control or I deal with this um, addiction that I've got, then I'll, maybe I'll be good enough to become a Christian like you because you don't have that stuff. <laughs> it's not true, is it? As long as we're trying to deal with that in the, the flesh, as long as we're trying to sort out the bucket and the who and the how, it, we're just doing it in our own strength. It's not, it's not going to be enough. So we see that's not the picture. We see Jesus accepting the Samaritan woman right in the middle of that lifestyle, right in the middle of where she was at. Come as you are. Seek first the kingdom. Give him a platform in your life and allow him to deal with our lives from the inside out. He's not looking at the outside to get in. He's looking at the inside to get out. The powerful thing about this revelation is this. The way that we approach a situation or a person has a lot to do with our perception of how we're seen by that person or how we fit into that situation. So if I'm if I need to um have a conversation with someone and I'm completely intimidated by them, then I'm gonna come carrying that intimidation and that fear. But if I can approach someone who I think really loves me and they and I just think that they think that I'm amazing, I'm gonna come with confidence and boldness. Aren't I? And that's the same with God. He's saying I'm not standing there ready to whack you. I'm standing there with my arms wide open. And, you know, that's my, my prayer for my kids is that as we go th- through the next hour along, that they have no doubt in their, in their mind, that it's very clear to them how I see them, that I couldn't love them anymore, that there's nothing that I wouldn't do for them. You know what I mean? And that's exactly how he's trying to show us. Is, you know, I want my kids to be able to say, oh, my dad, and I can say this about my dad and my mum. But I know that they love us kids more than anything, and there's nothing that they wouldn't do for us. You know, there's nothing that we couldn't ask, that they wouldn't bend over backwards or chop off an arm to make sure that we're safe and happy and know that we're loved. That's what I want my kids to know, and that's what God wants us to know about Him. He wants us to come to Him, come before Him with boldness. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and a sound mind. So, and we can't do that. We can't come to, to Him with boldness without an accurate understanding of how He sees us. We've got to work this out, right? So, the key for our worship is if we are waiting for a righteous slap, then it's not going to happen. We begin to understand, when we begin to understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of His love, our approach is very, very different. And as, as I started to allow God to reveal this truth to me, my approach to worship became very different. And, I, and it's not just, you know, on a Sunday or a prayer meeting or my own quiet time. It's it's into every situation, like coming up with a, with a decision that I've got to make or an awkward situation at work. It's like He's saying, give me a drink. Let me in on this. And because I understand that His, that his desire and His will is for me to prosper in everything, then I'm very happy to let Him in and to and to, you know, guide the situation. So she's a bit embarrassed by what's just happened. You know, he's kind of started talking about her personal life. So she's, like I said before, she's, let's do a, let's change the subject. How's the stock exchange? She says, should we worship over here or should we worship over there? You know, we're worshiping on this mountain and you Jewish people, you're over there. I perceive you're a prophet. You're telling me stuff I haven't told you about myself. What do you say about worship? So we see that Jesus starts to unpack it and he starts to explain to her it's no longer about location. He says, but the hour is coming when true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. So seven, number seven is this. Worship is a response to the spirit of truth. See, we mustn't separate spirit and truth. They go hand in hand like peas and carrots. If you don't like peas like me, then maybe they go hand in hand like Noosa and the beach or Queensland and the sunshine. They're tight. They're locked in. Peanut butter and strawberry jam. Oh, fresh white bread with strawberry jam and heaps of cream on it. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you read reading the Word. The Spirit's actually called the Spirit of Truth, right? So they're tight. This is the danger. Spirit without truth can lead to carelessness. The truth without spirit is lifeless and it lacks the ability to connect. So they're very, very important. I read this earlier this week. Intelligence in divine things comes by conscience and revelation, not just by intellect. I love what um, we read in John 16 verse 13. It says, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. See, Jesus was trying to guide her into all truth. Worship is always a response. It's a response to the revelation of the truth by the spirit. Jesus was saying to her, it's not enough that you simply know where to go or what events to turn up or what meetings to be at or how to dress or what things you need to do on the outset. He's saying, forget about all that. Forget about your ceremonies. It's not about being at the right place, in the right place at the right time. It's about being in the right space all of the time. How's that? (laughs) It's no longer a command, it's not an order. It's not do this or else. It's responding to an invitation. Give me a drink. I'm right here. Let me in. I don't care about that stuff. Just let me in. It's responding to that invitation. It's like that fountain, he says, is going to well up inside of us and spring up into everlasting life. It's something we can barely contain, and it gets harder and harder to contain as our revelation grows. The fountain is grounded in truth, and it's led by the Spirit. His spirit, the spirit of truth, calling out to our spirit, leading us in truth. I love the scripture that um, Pastor Josh has, been, has used a few times during the, during the series from Psalm 45. and says, you know, the king is enthralled by your beauty. He is your Lord. Worship him. See, it's not a command. He didn't say, worship him. He is your Lord. And he thinks you're all right. He starts with how he sees us. The king is enthralled by your beauty. You know, I can hear that. Someone can say it, and I can say, oh, yeah. Someone says, how does God see? You? Oh, he's enthralled by my beauty. Well, that's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> but when the spirit gets hold of it and says, you know what? The king is enthralled by your beauty. He created you. You know, I want my kids to know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm enthralled by their beauty and who they are. Tegan, I'm enthralled by your beauty. See, it's not just words, it's not just an idea. He's enthralled by our beauty. He's saying, Oh my goodness, you don't know how I see you. Like, you can't you can't you can't contain it. I can it in my heart, but I've got to get it in my spirit. Once we get that, we can go on to the next bit. Well, actually, He is your Lord. He is Yahweh, He is our Saviour, He is the great I am, He is El Shaddai, He is everything that we need, He's everything that we need. He's enthralled by our beauty. He wants to supply all of our needs. He stepped out of heaven onto the planet to show us that. The gift of God. If you knew the gift of God. And then our response to how he sees us, our response to the fact that he is our Lord, he is the creator of heaven and earth, is worship. It's not a command, it's an invitation. It's like, this is what the word says. What are you going to do about it? Give me a drink. Worship him. This is how he sees you. This is who he is. This is an acceptable response. You now I love looking at the names of um, the names of God when we look through the Bible, and one that always um, gets me going is El Shaddai, because it speaks of a real closeness between me and God. And before I had that revelation, I, I had you know understood that He was the Most High God. He's El Elion, He sat in heavenly places, on the throne of heaven, created heaven and earth. But there was this gap. Then when we start to understand, well, actually, he is El Shaddai. He's the God of our righteousness. He is the source of our blessing. He is nurturing and he's caring for us. This is who he is. He is our Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What are you going to do with that revelation? You're going to worship him. So imagine our church. Imagine if we all had a really clear, and const- it's constantly growing obviously, but a real clear revelation of how he actually saw us. So we weren't coming to him, whether it was on a Sunday or any other situation during the week. We weren't coming with fear and going, well, I don't want to do the wrong thing here because he's going to slap me. But we came going, I know how God sees me. He couldn't love me anymore. He's enthralled by my beauty. And you know, Imagine the shift from our perspective, from that, from that view. Imagine our community. If, if we started to see people as God sees us, see, that's the other side of it. When I start to understand how God sees me, I start to understand how he sees Nathan. And I'm like, God's enthralled by your beauty. This is my God. He created me. You know, when Tegan brings someone home, a friend, and says, oh, this is my special friend, and they're awesome, and uh, straight away there's, there's a level of respect and love that I have for that person because of what I have for Tegan, right? So it's the same with God. If He's saying all these things about me, and He's saying, "I sent my Son to die for Benjamin," I'm going, "Well, they're awesome then, because you're my God, and if you love them, then I gotta love them." Is there a difference? Imagine our community if we if we started to see everyone that way. Imagine our community if we all started to worship in spirit and in truth. One other little lesson that I like from this is the whole thing about rights. You know, we live in a time where. Um, we're obsessed with our rights. And I think we've, somewhere along the line, we've actually lost sight of our responsibilities. And as we look back, not only in this story, but the whole kind of um, life of Jesus, we don't see an importance put on his rights. You know, he, he stepped out of heaven, he was the Son of God. he not put me on that cross. So I'm going to call every angel down here and take care of you all, because that's my rights as, this, as the Son of God. But he completely laid down his rights and he picked up the responsibility that was ours. He stepped into that. and we had, give, we had rights and then we completely messed it. It was our responsibility to fix it. He said, well, here you go. Try the Ten Commandments. Might be able to fix it. But he laid down his rights to pick up our responsibilities. Imagine us as a people, if we just put our rights aside for a minute. We weren't concerned about suing the church because I've just tripped down this step. And there should have been a sign there and a safety net and a rope. Someone should have been there, a mattress, spray my ankle. Now, don't get me wrong, there are situations where, obviously, we do have rights. um, But imagine if we weren't actually focusing on those things, we weren't concerned with them, we were concerned with our responsibility. What is our responsibility? Understand that He's enthralled by all of our beauty. Understand He's our Lord and worship Him. Understand our responsibility is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength and to love the person sitting next to me. Loving them from a position that we see that he loves us. Imagine our community if um, that's the approach we had. Cool? Jesus completely laid down his rights as the Son of God. So quick recap. He's waiting for us and he's waiting with an invitation constantly. He's not concerned with culture. so don't you be too concerned with culture. His desire is to reveal the Father to us. To our natural mind, our natural eyes, it's not actually going to make sense. So don't try and use them to work it out. Only God can truly satisfy us long term. Only living water can quench our thirst. Don't wait until you've got it all together before you pursue Him. Come to him right now because that's what he's wanting. Give me a drink now. Worship is a response to the spirit of truth. Worship is a response in spirit and in truth. The two go hand in hand. I love how it says at the end of this passage that um, God is spirit and he's seeking for those who worship him in spirit and truth. See, God's not after our worship. He's not looking for worship. He's not looking for a church that has the best music. He's looking for worshippers. We can do all we want. I can play all the songs I want if it's not in spirit and truth, if it's not coming from that place and he's not interested in it. It's not about going over there or going over there or being at this place at the right time or doing this thing. It's about what's on the inside. Worship me in spirit and truth. Understand I'm enthralled by your beauty. I am your Lord. Worship me. So I'd love to pray with some people today. I would love to pray for anyone that wants a fresh perspective, a fresh view on how God sees them today. And I want to, I want to speak the truth over you today. You might be here today and uh, maybe you don't know Jesus and I would love to pray with you because this is as equally for you as it is for anyone who's known Jesus for a day or a year or 10 years or 100 years. So I'd love to pray with you too. So maybe as um, Rachel leads us in this next song, why don't we stand for a minute? And if, and if if you want a fresh revelation of how God sees you, that He's enthralled by your beauty, then I would love to pray that with you. I'd love to impart that, that truth to you today. If you don't know Jesus and you want to get to know Him today, then come down the front. I'd love to pray for you too. Let's start this thing off right. Start it off with joy and with thanksgiving. You know, He says, His Word says that... Um, he hasn't just given us righteousness. He's imputed it to us. It's not something that we put on and off. He's not just trying to cover up all the rubbish in our lives. He's actually taken it all away. He's saying, now you are this. No one can take that away from you. So I'd love to pray for for you too. Is so. that all right?